Well, good morning, everyone. That was decent. I'll accept that. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. It's a blessing to be with you this morning, and I welcome you. Whether you are new here, you've been here your whole life, whether you are in person or maybe you are joining us online, there are many things that we have to be thankful for, but certainly a warm, dry sanctuary is one of those things on this dreary day, right? Uh, as we come together, let me make a few announcements and then we'll get started with our worship. But first off, hopefully your parents got the one call of the text message about this, but we will not, surprise, surprise, be having our lunch and outing today with the youth group and Little Lambs. The weather is just too nasty, so instead we are rescheduling for one week from today. We are still having youth group tonight and Little Lambs at 5.30, however. Uh, if you have any questions about our outing, see me, see Amanda, Christy Carey. Um, also, let me once again point your attention to the bulletin. That's another announcement that uh, really needs to be made. Lots of different things going on there. There's a flyer for women's ministries. And I'll also point out that James has now officially started at Edgemont ARP. It looks like his installation and ordination service will be on October the 23rd. That is still yet to be determined, but that's, that's probably a 95% likelihood it's going to be them. But because James has started at Edgemont, he is now going to be here for Wednesday nights. I'm going to be here for Wednesday nights. From now on, we'll be having our Bible study and our prayer meeting. We start at 645, we end at 730, and that will be over uh, next door in Providence Hall. It's a lot easier to heat and cool over there. Um, now, this Wednesday also, something special going on. Y'all know that a couple of weeks ago we had our congregational meeting for you to recommend officers. Listen, this is very important. If you were nominated to serve, right, if you were recommended to serve and you have never served as the office that you were recommended to serve in, in other words, if you were recommended to serve as an elder and you've never been an elder, if you were recommended to serve as a deacon and you've never been a deacon, you need to be here this coming Wednesday at 7.30, right? As soon as the prayer meeting is over, we are going to have a meeting to talk about these offices, the qualifications, that sort of thing. That is Wednesday, October 5th at 7.30, this coming Wednesday. Now, if you are willing to serve and you just can't be there this Wednesday, call me. We will work something out, okay? We can meet together. There's all sorts of ways that we can do this. But this is something that we require of all of our new officers. Those letters should have gone out by now. So, um, in fact, you should have gotten them already. Now... That's the only announcements I'm going to make. There's other things going on, but they are in your bulletin, and I will let you find them. Uh, later this morning when I offer the pastoral prayer, we're going to pray for all those affected by Hurricane Ian. My goodness, maybe you've seen some of the videos, some of the pictures. It's just so disastrous. I, I do bring good news as far as our churches go in Florida. We have a church plant in Fort Myers. We have others in the area, but it has been very minimal damage especially when you compare the damage that they faced with other churches. Um, our pastors that are down there, they've had roof damage and some of the typical things, but nobody's homes were destroyed and, and all of our pastors and people are safe. Nevertheless, there are so many that are still in harm's way. So we will pray for them. Also, we're going to pray for Dale, who is still in the hospital in Roanoke. I talked to Terry this morning. Yesterday was not a good day for Dale. So we're going to continue to pray for his recovery and that of others um, that are facing different sicknesses. Now, again, we're here to worship. So let's worship the Lord together. Let's prepare our hearts as Donna leads us in the prayer.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 29 and is rather appropriate given the events of this past week with the storm, given even the weather that we're experiencing. It says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord above the vast water, the voice of the Lord in power, the voice of the Lord in splendor, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Indeed, my friends, this is the God that we serve. We do not always understand his ways, why he does what he does. However, in his providence, in his might, and in his power, we see his works on display. And we see his love and graciousness. And mercy in our own lives if we'll take the time to look. So consider this God that we serve as we come together to worship him today. Let's now go to him in prayer after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer. And then confess the Apostles Creed together. But let's go to him now. Our God and our Father as we've just read from your word. We know it is true that you are the mighty one. That none can compare to you. That you sit enthroned above the flood. Above the mighty waters. We know from elsewhere in, the wor in your word that you hold the worlds in your hand. Father, truly you are magnificent. And yet it is in your wonder and your might and your power that you call us here. But you call us not as subjects, not as creatures. You call us here as your children. Because you love us. Because you care for us. Even now in the midst of this great calamity, we have heard many stories of salvation coming in the midst of horror, of help coming when it was thought that no help was to be found. Oh, Father, you are so gracious. Help us now as we come together in this time to worship you in light of who you are, to celebrate your glory and your majesty, and to bask in the fact that you have called us your own. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand together and take our red hymnals and turn to hymn number 15. The words are on the screen as we sing, sing praise to God who reigns above. Stand with me as we sing number 15.
Thank you. You may be seated. Children, come on forward. Yeah. 
And as they are being dismissed, let's now prepare our hearts before we go to the Lord in prayer. We'll take this time in silent prayer, and then I will offer the pastoral prayer. Let's go to our Lord now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, again, we come to you now with grateful hearts, grateful for your provision, grateful for all the ways that you have blessed us, grateful even for the little uh, echoes of, of small feet going down the hall. This, of course, testifies to the fact that your son is keeping his word that he will build his church, that you are building a people for yourself, and that you have given us the opportunity to be a part of your grand redemptive plan that plan that sometimes we can see working very clearly. We can see how you operate. We can see those areas that you are affecting, the way that your grace pours forth. Sometimes we don't see that. Yet, Father, we pray that you would remind us of the number of our days, as it were, that you would remind us that we are finite trying to contemplate the infinite, that, that your ways... Father, your ways are not like our ways, and we're grateful for that. Yet in all of these things, whether we see your hand at work or whether we don't, we pray that we would trust you. That in this time where there are so many alternatives that are offered, so many paths that are presented as, as equal and valid and even preferable to trusting in Christ, we pray that we would see through the lies and keep our focus on you, recognizing not only the promises of your word, but recognizing what you had to do to provide this salvation for us. Give us grateful hearts for the sacrifice of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And not only his sacrifice before his life, how he fulfilled the law, all those works required that we never would, that we never could. And then willingly laid down himself for us. Father, in our gratitude for this, let that be a prompting to us to share the truth of Jesus Christ to this world that is groping in darkness, that is so confused. We know that the only real answer is Jesus Christ. To bring light into darkness, to bring life where there's nothing but death. And again, you've given us the right, the responsibility but also the privilege to take part in your grand redemptive plan. As we are about your business, we know that we face challenges. There are many that are struggling within our midst. We think this morning, especially of Dale, as yesterday was a very difficult day for him. 
His health is not seeming to improve, yet we pray that you would intervene, that you would cause medicines to work well, and for them to find the right medicines to work in this situation. Please restore him to good health and bring him back to us. We know that others are struggling in other ways. There are many that are recovering from COVID. There are some that are just diagnosed, some that are on the other end of it, and, and there are still other sicknesses. Sometimes we forget that. Surgeries to be had or surgeries that are being recovered from. We pray that you, again, you would bring health and that you would bring these people back to us. And yet, Father, in the midst of focusing on the physical, we pray that we would not miss the spiritual. For those that are struggling with depression, with sadness, with grief, sorrow, weariness, we pray that the refreshing wind of your Holy Spirit would blow through them and around them, that they would be energized and have a real sense of your presence. For those that are still yet struggling in other ways, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and would guide. And for those that do not know you, we pray that you'd get hold of them. Father, open their eyes that they would see their great need for you. As we think about the world around us, we know the world faces so many challenges, especially here in the United States after this terrible storm has come through. We pray for those in Florida and elsewhere that have been affected by this terrible hurricane. So many uh, lives have been lost. Certainly property has been destroyed. And there are many in harm's way right now as I lift up this prayer that rescuers and workers still can't get to. So please, Father, give them endurance. Come to their aid. Yet, Father, we pray not only for the physical, again, we pray for the spiritual, that those who are receiving salvation of life would receive salvation of the soul through you and you alone. Father, we pray this not only in light of the hurricane, we pray it in light of what's going on in the world. So many, again, grope in darkness. So many deny the light. Oh, Father, that you would work in their hearts and turn them to yourself and help us to see where we fit in in all of these things. We pray that your kingdom would grow and grow and grow, not for our sake alone, but for your glory, as you are indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all of these things in that mighty name of Christ. Amen.
Thank you very much, choir. What a fitting message that is. The sermon isn't about this. I've just got a remark. You know, we typically talk about the things that we're passionate about. We typically typically talk about the things that we believe have value. We share that which we think others will be excited about. And we share that which we think will bring value to other people. If you're not sharing the gospel, what does that say about your perceived value of it? I'm trying to be hard right at the start here or anything like that. But if you understand what the Lord has done for you, if you understand what you've been saved from, and if you care about the people in your life, then it should be the natural manifestation of who you are to share about this thing. When I preached on this in the past, I talked about how this was after uh, Rewind. This was after Hurricane Katrina, right? That was the first time that gas, could you believe it? It went to $3 a gallon. I mean, it was like, you know, the world was falling apart. This was, this was what, 2004, something like that, somewhere thereabouts. We went crazy over it back then. And I remember two local gas stations were having a gas price war, right? And it went from $3 and something, and one of them got down to 75 cents. And so I was calling everybody I knew, oh, you're not going to believe this. And it occurred to me, and I even heard about it on the news, you know, before social media was really popular or anything, but you heard about this, and everybody was in this frenzy over it because it's amazing. And even if your gallon holds 20, or your, your tank only holds 20 gallons, or even if it holds 25 gallons, what's 25 times 2? 50 bucks. Is 50 bucks really worth getting that excited over? What about salvation from hell? What about newness of life? What about being a part of something that actually matters? Instead of all the trash the world tries to sell you, we get excited about strange things that have no eternal significance. We need to be excited about the gospel. So thank you for that choir. Now, let's get to the next sermon. As we come together today in our series uh, on the I Am Statements of Christ, we're coming to a statement today that challenges our beliefs. It's a statement that flies in the face of who we are really as Americans, or at least who we're tempted to be. Um, while there's many statements that describe the American people, one that rings true throughout the generations is that we are characterized, we are described by authors and scholars alike of participating in rugged individualism, right? That, that a part of our DNA, as it were, as a nation is that we do things ourselves. We work hard, we plan ahead, and when we stumble and fall, we pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. When, when you get bucked off by the horse, you climb back onto that horse, right? And you, you keep on going. Now, I want to be clear about something. In, in no way, shape, or form am I saying there's something wrong with that side of the American spirit. We ought to be motivated and driven people. America isn't called the land of opportunity for nothing. So please don't misunderstand me here. Though so many of our young people want to be socialist or communist, if you actually talk to a person that came from one of those countries, they praise America because we are indeed the land of opportunity. We're still a land. Despite our problems where people can work hard and pursue life and liberty and their happiness. And, and that's what makes the United States great. So please don't misunderstand me. We ought to praise God that we are here. But again... It's that rugged individualism that I can do it. And I don't need anybody else. 
It's that that where we come to today in our series on the I Am Statements of Jesus, wherein he evokes the holy name of God, thus claiming to be God himself. But also it's in those statements where so much is revealed about who Jesus is and, and what he does and why he does it. The one that we come to today really flies in the face of that identity uh, issue that we have. It, it butts up against that sense of rugged individualism, our, our can-do attitude, where we dust ourselves off and keep on going. The reality is, is that while we should take initiative, while we should work hard, while we shouldn't just give up and instead keep going, we need to remember who we are and who Jesus really is. And we find out who we really are and who Jesus really is, you guessed it, in the gospel according to John. Chapter 15, to be precise. That's our passage today. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there with me to John 15, where we're going to find the next I am statement of Jesus, yes, but also where we will find out so much about who we are and who he is. And we're going to start reading in verse 1 of John 15, but before we read anything, we need to stop and we need to pray and ask God for help. So let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, as we come to this portion of the service where we take our Bibles and where we turn to your word, we pray that you would guide us in it, that this time would be pleasing to you as a result of our devotion to your word, that, that in this time your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and turn the lights on for us to see, again, not only the meaning, but the full meaning, not just the idea presented by the text, but also how this applies to us. Forgive us, Father, when our rugged individualism butts up against our need to trust in you, to rely on you. Guide us in this time so that we would see who we really are and who you really are. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord in it. And this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said... I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Oh, I skipped too quickly. You, excuse me. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine... Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. And it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this. That you produce much fruit. And prove to be my disciples. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading. Of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, did you catch it? That next I am statement. It's not hard to find. In fact, 
It was right there in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And he went on to say, and my father is the gardener. So there it is. The I am statement we come to today. Again, not hard to find. It's not hard to understand what Jesus said in the verses we just read, is it? No, it's not hard to understand. It's the implications that are difficult. It's the truth behind what Jesus just said in our passage that butts up against our sense of rugged individualism. Yes, but it's also the implications of the truth that point to serious, serious truths that we just can't look past. You know, the same was true with last week's I Am statement. Do you remember it? You should. I just talked about it with the kids. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, this is not camouflage. It's not hard to understand. But the implication of it, well, it's where it starts getting tricky. Last week's I am statement also pointed to hard truths. Namely, Jesus saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If that's true, that means the theology of the world around you, what what is taught by the world around you, and what is preached by preachers that aren't really pastors in buildings that aren't really churches, if what Jesus is saying is true, then that means what they're saying can't be true. Because, y'all, look, whether it's our passage today in John 15 or our passage last week in, in John 14, Jesus is either the truth or he's a liar. There's no in-between here. you, you got to pick. You can't have it both ways. If what Jesus said in his, in his word was true, that means that anything or anyone that disagrees with Jesus and his word must be false. And, and again, I know that this thought process butts up against the world's theology, its philosophy, its ideals. We live in this age of moral relativism. You ever seen this before? Live your truth. Boy, doesn't that sound good. Right? It just it gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling on the inside. It's, it's motivational to live your truth. And isn't it freeing? The idea that, well, that may be your truth, but my truth says this over here. And I'm going to be true to myself, and, and I'm going to live my truth. You know, that's the, the saying of the age. People claim to believe in this, but they don't really. If you're saying, well, I don't, I don't have it. Trust me on this. Let, let me give you an example. Let's just say... That I say to myself, hmm, I really like Rebecca's new Subaru. That's a snazzy vehicle. I think I'm just going to get the keys and take it. I'm going to live my truth. That car should belong to me and therefore it will be mine. Now, the same people that say, yes, live your truth. They might start pulling back a little bit there. Right? Because the fact of the matter is, is that just because it's your truth doesn't mean it's true or right, or good, or even permissible. So what sounds good, live your truth, is actually ludicrous because it assumes that multiple truths exist. And that's not how the world works. If one thing is true, then by default, other things cannot be true. And if what I'm saying is is confusing, take, take last week's passage again about Jesus saying he's the only way for salvation. If John 14, 6 is true, then that means that Islam can't be. Because Islam promises salvation by other means. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists, you name it. Either Jesus is being truthful here or he's lying. If you'd like another example, take our passage today. 
surface level, if Jesus is the true vine, that must mean that there are false ones out there and that they are indeed false. But there's deeper implications, you see. If Jesus is the true vine, if God really is the gardener, as we just read in verse 1, then everything else our passage says has to be true too. And that's important because our passage reveals a lot of things about who Jesus is, yes, and who we are. Take verse 2, for instance. If Jesus is the true vine and God is the gardener, well, then what Jesus said in verse 2 has to be true. And what did he say? Jesus said of his father, the gardener, he said, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Did you catch the fact that this is serious business? I hope so. Jesus just said that he's the true vine, that his father's the gardener, the one that tends to the true vine, and as the gardener, God removes the branches from the vine that don't bear any fruit. And he prunes the ones that do. If this is true, then this ought to prompt us to ask, a serious question. Are you bearing fruit? Have you taken the time to ever ask yourself that question? I mean, again, if, if verse 2 is true, and it is, have you examined yourself as to whether or not you're producing fruit? Now, if you're going to examine yourself, if you're going to ask that question, then you need to know what fruit Jesus is talking about, obviously. But the reality is, is there are many places in Scripture that talk about fruit. The obvious, the one that jumps out is in Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit, that if you belong to God and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you will produce the fruit, not the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. You'll produce them in season at the right time, but you will produce these. We're, we're actually going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit together before too long as our sermon series continues on in the names of God. We're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit. But, but for the time being, do you exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Do you do that? You know, that's just one aspect of, of bearing fruit, though. There are other ways that the scripture talks about bearing fruit. That's just one example. Being fruitful is another way of saying that you are being productive. Bearing fruit means being productive. Using the metaphor of the fruit-bearing vine, a branch or a shoot from the vine that never produces fruit only takes nutrients away from the rest of the vines that do produce fruit. Being fruitful in the Lord can also mean reproducing, as in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, praying for the salvation of others, testifying to Jesus Christ. And y'all, as I'm saying all of these things, let me tell you, if it makes you feel uncomfortable for me to push you like this, good, because I feel uncomfortable too. As I evaluate myself, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and other, and again, that's just one example of fruit in the scriptures. Y'all, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, again, I feel uncomfortable too. But remember, God's word doesn't exist to make us feel comfortable. And you didn't bring me here to be your pastor for me to make you feel comfortable. You brought me here to preach the word and tell the truth. And the truth is, is that if you aren't bearing fruit, the whole implication here, and this is why this is so serious, if you're not bearing fruit, you aren't part of the true vine. 
And I say that with a heavy heart as I examine myself. But this is the bare fact. And there's another truth that's revealed in verse 2 that is just as powerful. <laughs> and even if you are bearing fruit, realize that the branches that don't are cut off, but then we have this language, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit. Y'all know what pruning is. It's, it's cutting away the dead so that the living can thrive. It, it's shaping, it's directing and promoting growth. And the truth is, pruning can hurt. But it's also the best possible thing that God can do for us. Why? Because as we just read, pruning results in more and more fruit. It's almost counterproductive or counterintuitive, isn't it? You would think that slicing and dicing on a tree would cause it harm. Um, last week in the children's sermon, I mentioned going on a Jeep adventure, and, and I did that last week. I, I found a way to go from Monterey to McDowell without using any paved roads. And on the top of a mountain, um, I found this bald spot in my Jeep, and I started going like, like this, and I realized I was driving down stairs. What used to be stairs, the grass was so high, I couldn't see the foundation of the house. Thankfully, my Jeep is very tall, and it was okay, but nevertheless... Around this, it was on the very top of the mountain, and it was a bald spot where the house had been, but there were fruit trees everywhere. It was apple trees, but here's the fascinating thing. I don't know how long it takes for a house to just completely disappear and the stone steps to be left. It has to have been a while, okay? But the fascinating thing is this idea that, that slicing and dicing on something would cause it harm. You know what those apple trees look like on the top of that mountain? And what the fruit looked like? The fruit, it almost looked like crab apples. It wasn't. I grabbed one and I took a bite out of it. It was absolutely an apple, okay? But it was small. It was stunted. The trees were wild and they were gray and there were hardly any leaves on them. And out of all of these trees, there were really just a few that had any fruit on them at all. Why? Because they hadn't been pruned, you see. The reason that this promise is so important is it's by our pruning that God grows us more and more that we produce more and more fruit it's by our pruning that we are sanctified and, and, and sanctification don't 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 panic sanctification is just a fancy word for saying that when you're sanctified you die to yourself and you live under christ more and more now the implication of this is that if you're at stage in life where you're struggling if you're going through something right now it could be that the lord is simply pruning you so that you can die to yourself and trust in him Live for him. You know, every bit of adversity we face is an opportunity to trust the Lord. And when we do that, we bear more fruit. Again, this is a hard truth, but it is the truth. And it's not my truth, it's what Jesus said. We just read it. But it's not the only truth in our passage. Continuing the metaphor of the vine and the, and the branches of fruitfulness and fruitlessness. Jesus said in verses 3 and 4, he said, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Now allow me to paraphrase what he's talking about here. In verse 3, Jesus references the fact that his disciples... Which, by the way, that's who he's speaking to here. He's referencing the fact that they are clean because of the word that he has spoken to them. Because they have placed their faith in him. What word is that? Is it his word? Is it salvation? The answer is yes. Okay, he's talking about them committing their lives to him. All right, And so by extension, this can apply to us if you have committed your life to him. 
And though Jesus spoke this 2,000 years ago, it also applies to those who place their faith in him in the same way that verse 4 does. Consider what he has said here that we just read. It contains the command that Jesus gave to remain in him, to continue in him, to abide with him, to make sure that your relationship with him is genuine. This is what I talked about to the kids. This isn't about knowing about Jesus. This isn't about academic knowledge. This is about what you will do today, what you will do tomorrow. Will you trust in him? Will you place your hope for eternity in him? Why did Jesus instruct them to do this and by extension you and me? Well, this is where that difficult truth that I referenced before starts to come in. It's just a hint though. Not only is it about our relationship with him, Jesus said to remain in him for the simple reason that a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself. Isn't that true? It's as if Jesus was saying, look, if you're going to produce fruit, if you're going to do anything worthwhile, it's going to be through me. And y'all, this is a hard truth, but it's a genuine truth because nothing has changed. This is truth for all time. And, and to enunciate this, to drive the point home, Jesus ups the ante. He says, you must remain in him, not only to produce fruit, but also look at verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. And there it is. The central truth. Revealed by Jesus that butts right up against our sense of rugged individualism. Right up against our can-do attitude. Climb back on the horse attitude. What did Jesus say? Did he say that apart from me, you can make a dent in the world around me, or around you. You can, you can lead a revolution. You can make a difference. No. He said apart from me, you can't do anything. And the reason this truth is so hard for the world is that it's the exact opposite of what the world says. We dabbled in this last week in preparing for this week. The world tells you things like, save the planet, stop eating meat. Y'all, come on. The world says things like, stop using plastic straws and you can save the planet if you switch to paper and the sea turtles will thank you. And it's not that sea turtles aren't important, but y'all get the point here, right? The, the world says, if you vote for this person or if you vote for that cause or if you do this or if you do that, then the world will finally change. Come on, y'all. Don't you think if the world could change itself, it would have by now? But it hasn't. Because this promise of fruitfulness and producing fruit only comes through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he didn't say, apart from me, you can do some things. He didn't say, apart from me, you can make a good run from it. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the world has shown this to be true. Again, this is one of those truths that's not hard to understand, but it is hard to believe because real belief is manifest not in what's between your ears alone. It's manifest in what you do and how you live. And if you don't believe this, it manifests itself in so many different ways. It, it can manifest itself into a prayer life that's nominal or non-existent. It can manifest itself in living a life characterized by being joyless. 
You know, as one comedian talked about, one of Christianity's biggest problems is that we got people walking around like they're baptized in vinegar, right? Christians, sour look on their face. If you don't really believe this, it'll lead to you being joyless. It'll lead you to worry. It'll lead you to fear. It'll lead you to frustration. It will lead you to not producing fruit. It'll lead you to be a, being a drain on the plant. And it'll lead to even worse than that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I've got to ask you, are you a part of the true vine? The question isn't if you will face fear and, and, and a lack of joy and frustration. Y'all, the Lord knows us. He remembers how we were framed. Jesus has been tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet was without sin, and therefore he has compassion. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. So that's not, I'm not saying that these things won't come. The question is, what will you do when they come? When despair creeps up on you, will you trust? Will you turn to Christ? Are you a part of the true vine? The reason I ask this is because of what verse 6 says, if you aren't. If you aren't part of the true vine, John 15, 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Y'all, there's no way to dress this up. Now, if you look at the statistics, something like 80% of, of people that claim to be Christians don't even believe in hell. There's no way to dress this up. This is Jesus talking about hell. That if you don't abide in him, if you don't remain with him, this is your inheritance. This is your future. This is the inheritance of the world and all those who say Jesus isn't necessary. It's the inheritance, inheritance of all those who say that Jesus is just one of many ways to heaven. This is the inheritance of those who don't really know Jesus. Do you? If you know that you don't turn to him today, I'm not trying to scare you. I, Glenn and I disagree with this. I say all the time I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I think he thinks that I am. I'm, this is not about me trying to scare you or anything like that. I love you. I really do. And if you don't know Jesus, hell is your inheritance. It breaks my heart to say it. But if you do know him, and if you don't know him, and if you'll turn to him today, if you'll trust in him today, and if you've already trusted him, listen to how the passage ends. Because while hell is the inheritance of those who are not in Christ, this is the inheritance of those who are. Verse 7, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Did you hear what Jesus just said? Now make sure you heard it correctly because Jesus didn't just sign some blank prayer check, right? He didn't say if you pray really hard before you get your scratch-offs that you'll hit the jackpot. He didn't say that if you ask for revenge on your enemies, you'll have it. No, he said that the one who remains in him will have that type of relationship, will have that bond, that communion. The one that trusts in him, abides in him, the one who desires what he desires will have it. Why? Because if you remain in Christ, you will have union with Him. You will bear fruit. And this is what glorifies God. You see how wonderful that is. That not only through Jesus Christ 
do we avoid being cast into hell as those, wi- the, 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 those branches are thrown into the fire? Not only that, when we abide in him, God makes his people part of his grand redemptive plan. He lets you be a part of this. It's when you trust in Jesus and bear fruit by doing what he says, not because you have to, but because you get to. It's when you trust in the Lord and what he says, not the garbage of the world around you. When you do that, you glorify God and you prove that you belong to Jesus and you prove that he's one of his disciples and God is glorified to that. What a wonderful promise this is. y'all! How fulfilling. How contrary to the false causes of the world that promise change but only result in higher price tags, that only result in more cynicism, disappointment. If you are in Christ, abiding in him, you'll never face ultimate disappointment because you're a part of the true vine, a part of the kingdom. Don't listen to the world. You know it's changed, its power to change is is useless. Instead, listen to Jesus who said, I am the true vine. I know it can be difficult, y'all. I'm not trying to lessen what you're going through. I'm not trying to, to belittle the temptations you face. But remember where and when Jesus said these things. Now Jesus said this in chapters 15 through 17 as part of a teaching segment for his disciples. Chapter 17 ends with his high priestly prayer for his disciples and for you and me today. But then chapter 18 would see Jesus arrested and tortured, denied by Peter. Chapter 19 he would stand trial and he'd be crucified. But chapter 20 he would rise again because the tomb couldn't hold him. So make no mistake, Jesus knew so much more about the challenges of living by faith than we ever will. But at the same time, trusting him is worth it. Not only because of the futility of the world around you, but because of the life that we have in him. Life that has purpose. Life that has meaning. Life that is eternal. Why? Because he is the true vine and it's only in him that you'll grow and bear fruit. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promises of your word where you tell us the truth. There are so many that deny it. They don't want to believe it. They try to change you. They try to pretend that the world is something other than it is. And yet, Father, your word is true. And as it testifies... We will either belong to you through Jesus Christ alone or we will be separated from you forever. For those of us here that know you, work in our hearts that we would not grow weary, but instead that we would be renewed at the prospect of producing more fruit. Help us to examine ourselves, to determine if we are. Help us to turn to you again and again. And for those that are here that do not know you, Oh, Father, help them to see. Help them to see that they're cut off. That they'll never grow. That they'll never be a part of real life until they do trust in Jesus Christ alone. So please, draw them to yourself. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's now close this time by taking our green Bible song books. And we normally sing this around Thanksgiving, but I thought it was particularly appropriate given our passage today. Let's sing Bible song number 129, God's Providential Goodness. Please stand with us.
world of disappointment and heartache, he can make you glad as well. Receive now the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.